Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Thursday, November 16th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, and that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for 19 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app That app contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We help people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives, and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. If you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate you doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1 on your phone, it will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I'll be able to turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. And 
If you're listening on the archives or you just choose not to call in live, you can send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. And you can email Jeannie at J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org. That's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot O-R-G. And when we get those comments or questions, answers or testimonials from you, we will address them on the Internet show. And then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time that occurred so you can listen back to the archives to get the feedback that's offered. And we greatly appreciate whenever anybody chooses to do that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention with this work is to be of service. How can we support you? What is on your mind? How how is it landing for you that we're working back through the way of mastery again this year? And or... How has it landed for you to listen to the processing that happened Friday, Monday, and Tuesday of this week? Either with Tim Bingham on Friday and Monday or with a caller named Melissa on Tuesday. I'm fairly caught up adding the files from the shows related to um, the way of mastery to the mindshiftersacademy.org website and I should let you know that today's a Thursday so there will be a support group tonight available and all the information you or anybody else would need to join us absolutely free is available on the mindshiftersacademy.org website And also on that website, you'll find a special page for the the files of the first three lessons in the way of mastery that we've been reading this year. And as of now, I'm leaving in the processing that happened Friday and Monday and Tuesday, although that might get moved to a separate page in the future. But it's right there on the page, top of the menu, for the Way of Mastery with Commentary in 2023 and 24. So, as I mentioned before, I'd gone back to last year and um, listened to some of the reading I did in 2022, in the beginning of 2022, when I was reading the way of mastery for the first time and the first time through I didn't even read the promise from Yeshua and this year when I talked about it and and started reading I focused on that I focused very clearly on what jumped out at me that right here before they actually begin the way of mastery text Yeshua writes I promise you this that if you become wholly totally committed to awakening from the dream of separation the dream that you've dreamt since before the stars began to appear in the heavens 
And if your one desire is to be only what your creator created, then put down on the altar of your heart. Do this with every breath. Put down everything you think you know and everything you think you need and learn to look lovingly upon every place that fear has made a home in your mind. And when you do that, the correction will come. The healing will come. The integration will come. The realization that we are all one. The dream of separation will end. And it says, regardless of how you experience it, whatever unfolds in your life after that will be the correction, will be the stepping stones you need to take you to where you say you want to be. Back to the awareness moment to moment with every breath of your connection to your source and once that happens it'll it'll seem like you never dreamt the dream there might be some faint memory some thought that somewhere you must have had dreamt a dream but it will be such a faint echo that it will leave no trace upon you And there will be peace from the crown of your head to the tips of your toes. And that, to my eye and ear, is almost verbatim the reality or, or the, the process of forgiveness from The Course in Miracles where it says, open a curtain in your practice. Drop everything you think you want, your trifling treasures put away, and leave a clean and open space for the Christ mind to come. And then what's next? What's next is we move into the the lessons of the way of mastery and to talk about the way of the heart, a way that calls you home. And it says very, very clearly, as you become less and less of what you think you are, you open yourself to be experiencing more and more of what your father, the creator, created you to be which is the thought of perfect love expressing in form. And your only task begin, becomes searching for and finding any negativity, owning it as completely self-created, and dismissing it as easily as a breath. recognizing that everything you've experienced has been a product of the way you've chosen to interpret and respond to the flow of life. Even this experience of being separate. And it says in the first lesson, 
the very first step in awakening is just to allow this idea into your mind. And the idea is that nothing you experience is caused by anything outside of you and that you experience only the effects of your own choice. And then watch your intellect jump up and complain and say, that's not true, I would never do this to myself, etc. And take a breath and soften and awaken yourself to the fact that the way of the heart is not the way of the intellect, that all of those negative thoughts that will come up again and again from the intellect because they've been shoved into the intellect like garbage into a garbage can, they are just false. And the way of the heart is not the way of the intellect. The intellect was just intended to be a very, very simple tool to be used as a servant of the awakened heart. The awakened heart is that which feels all things, embraces all things, trusts all things, and allows all things. The heart is that in which the soul rests eternally. The heart is that which is beyond space and time. It is the spark of light in the mind of the Creator, which has been called Christ. And only in that awareness will you find the peace that you seek. This pathway is not a pathway of avoidance. It's a pathway of allowance and acceptance. It's a pathway of truthfulness. It is not a pathway of accomplishment and pride, but a pathway of releasing from the consciousness every hope and every wish to be special and to see yourself as having made progress. This is not what you've been trained to do your entire life. This is new. This is fresh. This is clean. This is wide open. This is stepping back from everything I think I know and everything I think I need and asking to be shown something else. This is embracing the truth of whatever unfolds every day. This is a process of cultivating as a gardener would cultivate the soil and tend the garden. This is a process of cultivating your thoughts to be loving and positive and accepting and grateful. This is a process of cultivating the remembrance of what this work says over and over again is the truth that is true always. What is the truth that is true always? That you remain as you were created to be. That all of your thoughts about yourself, all of the thoughts of ego and intellect are just false baggage. It's a a use of the creative energy in a way other than was intended by the creator. It's play in the kingdom. It's, as Christian Sundberg would say, it's us trying to learn to choose for love in more and more difficult situations. 
the awareness in the first lesson that the intellect can never bring the healing of the heart that is the awareness that we are all one because the intellect judges and separates and creates the dream of ego and separation. The intellect is a tool and it can only be used to argue against the insane perceptions that we are used to. So we might come to see that perhaps there's a greater good in giving up our insistence on treating the intellect as though it were our God. And lesson two goes deeper, goes more right into the, from the title of the lesson, you create your experience. And it says, whatever you perceive is communicated. That your whole body-mind experience, this energy system that you call the body and the mind, is a very temporary communication device. So it asks us to be aware, what are we committed to communicating? What are we going to express? How is it that we see ourselves, our true self, in the world? And waking up to the fact that everything we say and do is communicating to the world around us what we believe is true about ourselves. That lesson talks about how peace flows from the alignment of your mind with the mind of the Creator. It's allowing the realization that I only experience that which I focus on and interpret in a certain way. I'm the creator of all that I think, all that I see, and all I experience. I'm free always. Nothing impinges upon me except the thoughts that I've chosen to hold within my mind. And nothing imprisons me but my own perception of imprisonment. Nothing limits me at any level of dimension or experience except that which I've chosen. And if I choose to believe that I'm small and weak and limited, that will be my experience. If I choose to look at something I've thought or done or said in the past and judge it as bad or wrong, that will be my experience. If I choose to look on everything that I've ever heard, seen, thought, felt, said, and done as just me as a soul being at play in the kingdom, then I create a very different experience. Lesson two tells us mastery arises from innocence. What about the possibility that we could experience whatever arises without losing our sense of spaciousness and innocence within us? We could have the building crumbling around us. We could have the bank account be empty and still just be wide-eyed, innocent, allowing, accepting, trusting, and having the peace flowing through us that comes from knowing that our mind, our spark of consciousness rests right alongside the Creator as we are experiencing that. Lesson 2 calls us 
to remember that what we decree is and that the first two axioms need to be practiced by us so that we can start building on them. What are those first two axioms? They're stated this way. I am created as the Creator created me to be. I am free. And nothing sources my experience but me in each moment. Nothing has an effect on me whatsoever except for that which I choose to allow to affect me. Axiom number two, I need do nothing. I choose what I do. I need do nothing, and therein lies the source of this freedom, this thing we call free will. And there's an ex, uh, uh, an exercise at the end of the lesson which says, choose something that you do every day, something so ordinary, utterly ordinary, that you're convinced it holds no power and no spiritual meaning whatsoever. And begin with that simple thing, whether it's brushing your hair or brushing your teeth or stretching when you get up in the morning. And specifically focus on the awareness that you are choosing to do this and that this is your creation in that moment. And as you do it, whether it's pouring a, a glass of water or making a piece of toast, do it focused on how this is your creation. And as soon as you're done, focus on it with reverence and worship and say, this is my creation and it is good. Spend the time understanding that you are choosing the thoughts that you pour your mind energy into and the interpretation you pour your mind energy into. And that is what creates your experience and nothing else. And that you can do that in your life and you can start practicing doing that in your life. And you can remind yourself of people like Roger McGowan who spent 20-some years on death row in Texas for a crime he didn't commit, and he chose that way. Nelson Mandela, in prison for a lot of years, comes out and has loving energy that he's expressing, uniting his country rather than being filled with rage and bitterness and vengeance. So these are living examples of the fact that the principles of these first two lessons can actively be applied in your life to great advantage. Lesson three is titled, The Power of Forgiveness. And the text reads, If I search the languages of your world, I cannot find the words that can convey the love that I feel for you. I cannot find the words that can convey unto you the love that God has for all of us. I cannot find a concept, a word, an idea, a philosophy, or a dogma that can contain the mystery that is closer to you than your own breath and awaits your discovery. 
if I search throughout all of creation, if I search through the many mansions that exist within the domains of my Father's creation, and that creation is infinite, try as I might, I cannot discover anything that can truly describe you. I cannot find anything that is of greater value than you. In truth, I cannot discover anything that speaks more eloquently of the love that God is than your very existence. Therefore, in truth, I look upon you constantly and I marvel at the radiance of my Father's love. It is through you that I come to discover all that God is. Just the first two paragraphs of the third lesson, this is one of the key examples I use when I make the comment that I feel, for, for me, the way of mastery is a kinder, gentler version of the same messages that are in the Course in Miracles. And this is how I introduce people to that experience of the kinder, gentler message. Area code 618, you're in the air. Hey, Dr. Tim, this is Gail. Um, thank you Welcome. for reading Way of Mastery. Thank you. Um, I, I very much appreciate the fact that you're going back through Way of Mastery. And I think I've stated this before. Um, the last time that you read it, I joined in Chapter 15 and was trying to catch up on my own and, and failed. And so I'm appreciating being able to go back through this. And I also appreciate the um, the commentary that is going with it. My question, and I apologize for my timing um, with this, is is on Chapter 2. There's another exercise that is talked about, about stopping every hour and doing something for five minutes. And every time I listen to Chapter 2, um, and I and I listened to chapter two again last night. I go unconscious for whatever reason. I go unconscious, start thinking about something else, and I always miss that first exercise that he talks about. And I don't understand what we're supposed to be doing. I do understand, like if you're just doing something mundane, like brushing your teeth or brushing your hair or drinking a sip of water, saying you know this is good. But the other exercise I don't understand. So if you could restate that or explain that to me, and hopefully I don't go unconscious again. <laughs> um, and I could actually hear it and understand what we're supposed to do every hour for five minutes. That would be great. Five minutes every hour. Just be as you are, as you were created to be. You are a creator decreeing that which brings forth experience. So begin by choosing to cultivate this practice in this way. Set the intention so that in each hour of your day for three to five minutes, you practice bringing this quality of awareness. What's the awareness? That you decree what is. And whatever you decree, that's what happens. 
bringing that quality of awareness to exactly whatever you're experiencing when the thought arises to do so. So you find yourself walking into the grocery store and the thought arises, oh my gosh, I've decided to be here. I've made the decisions throughout the day to put me at this place in this time walking through the parking lot toward the grocery store. I've created being here. Five minutes, three to five minutes every hour, just wake up to the fact that what you decree is that you only experience what you've chosen to experience. The rest of that paragraph says, so where does the thought come from? Imagine you're going through your day and you've been hustling and bustling about going to your work or your office, you've talked to friends, you've bought groceries, you've done all these things, and then all of a sudden in the middle of that process, the thought appears, oh, wait a minute, I'm I'm supposed to focus on being aware that I am literally the creator of what I experience. And then just spend three to five minutes in that awareness. That's the exercise. And when you practice okay. doing that, you'll never again say to yourself, well, I'm really here just because I have to be, or I'm just doing this because it's what I have to do, or I'm doing this because so-and-so made me. That's the exercise you're referring to. And yes. it says then, take, take the words ought, should, and must out of your vocabulary. Write them on a piece of paper, read them, feel the vibrations of them, and then burn the paper. Okay, that's making for, I would say, probably the 50th time that finally makes sense. So thank you for taking the time. Um, I, will, I will mute myself. Okay, and it's I need do nothing. I am choosing where I am and, the, and whatever I'm doing, and I, I'm here experiencing this because of what I've chosen and I've created it. And I need do nothing. It all feeds in. And I spend just three to five minutes every hour doing that. All right. And thank you for bringing that together. Yes, yes. Okay, I get it. Finally. All right. Area code 610. You're in the air. Hi, Dr. Tim. I'm in a doctor's office and about to be called for an eye appointment, but I loved that Gail asked for that again because you said something just now <clears throat> that changed my resistance. My resistance is, the heck, I'm going to stop what I'm doing every hour and do nothing for five minutes. But I think what you're saying is just whatever you're doing, pause. If you're taking a walk, you keep walking, but you can collect yourself and come back to yourself and just pay attention. And I also don't think, at least for myself, it would be very hard to watch my watch and say, oh, good, I did my three to five minutes. But it sounds as if this is doable within a regular life as often as it comes to mind. And I know the text does say that in another place, but it's good to hear all this. And by the way, Gail's right. I find, especially today, I have so many questions. Like, um, 
at one point you were reading about how the times are challenging, or maybe that was your commentary. But the more challenging they get, we just get to practice. And I've been feeling, you know, with the news and everything, it's a lot to handle, and I do have to do my work to stay without feeling as if I'm kind of drowning in it. So, um, this is drowning in what? And I'm going to, what? Drowning in what? Feeling as if things are so awful that I can't feel good. Okay, got it. Like like if you're listening to the news or whatever? Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. All right, well, I, I understand that you're in a doctor's office. I appreciate your taking the time to call. And, um, yes, it is, it is definitely an exercise you can do right now in the doctor's office. It's an exercise you can do in the middle of whatever you're doing because all it is is a shift of your awareness away from the thought that I must or I have to or I should be doing this into the thought, I've chosen this, I've created it, it's okay, it's good, just the way yeah. it is. Yeah. Or even a delicious invitation to do it. Yeah. Yes. Okay, well, I'll, I'll keep listening until they call me, but I better get off the phone. All right, I will mute you so you can listen in, and we'll come back to what I was reading here in the third lesson. So this is all based on the idea that we're choosing this pathway. We're choosing to shift the focus of our attention from the intellect to the heart space. We're choosing to wake up to how, as we choose any thought, any interpretation about life, that literally creates our experience of life in that moment. And building on that, we're now going to take a look at the power of forgiveness. And I just read the first two paragraphs that say, that end with the thought, it is through you, it is through me and you and each of us that we come to know all that creation is. The text continues, When I walked upon your earth as a man... I began to realize that the greatest gift that I could ever receive, try and think about this now, the greatest gift I could ever receive will only come to me as I choose to surrender every perception that I might conjure up about the world around me, about you, my brother and sister. Because every perception I conjure up about the world hides or veils the truth that is true about you always, that's true about life always. Perception, they're they're talking very clearly here about how perception is a distortion of the truth of what is. Our eyes, our ears, our sense of taste and smell and touch do not give us a direct, full, unadulterated experience of life. 
they help us make our best guess. You know, as as the Anil Seth video, A-N-I-L-S-E-T-H, you can look it up on YouTube, perception and hallucinating perception. As he points out, no light gets into the brain. Light waves hit the eye, are translated into some uh, bioelectrical signal and travel to near the back of the brain where they are interpreted as one thing or another and then my brain makes a guess about what those light waves represent and shows me a picture. I just flashed on a, um, a, a situation when I was uh, well, an early teen through my high school years. There was this family friend that I had a crush on, and I just thought she was the most beautiful person and the perfect body and all of this others and so after high school i managed to to go visit her she didn't live near me and um and i ended up with a picture and, and i came back and my friends were all oh man you seem really you know fixated on this girl you know do you have any pictures and i showed them a picture not one person that i showed it to had anything like the experience i did and when I looked at that picture, I was just flooded with and it looked to me like this person could be a model on a magazine, etc. None of my friends thought any of that was true. We are all always forever and only creating our best guess. And where does that guess come from? It comes from our history as the first couple lessons we're talking about. It comes from my intellect. It comes from my stored trauma energies and beliefs it's not pure it's not direct so the text goes on when i was nine years of age i began to awaken to exactly what i'm describing to you as my father would take me to sit with the elders and as he would read from the torah to me i began to be compelled by something within Something began to speak to me. Something was telling me that underneath all of the perceptions that I could create of another person, there was something radiant and shimmering that was waiting to be discovered. I began to feel very different from my peers. I began to be preoccupied with inner things. When I listened to the elders speak, I would often feel as though I had drifted far away from where they were. Pictures would come to me, thoughts would come to me, and feelings would come to me that I did not understand, that I had not assimilated into my being. But something began to compel me. How might I discover to see only that shimmering radiance. Would it be possible for me to see my brothers and my sisters as the Creator sees its children? I discovered that the way to see with the eyes of Christ begins with the acceptance that I, as a Creator, as being created in the image of the Creator, I literally choose every experience 
and I call it to myself. And that I create the veils through which I view creation. So I began to shift my perception slightly. I began to be seen as someone who was rebelling against the teachings of my Essene elders. For I began to move away from striving for God and striving for perfection, and I began to cultivate within myself a process of allowing. Covered that if I looked upon my perceptions, my feelings, and my behavior exactly as they were, without overshadowing them with my own interpretations, if I could teach myself to embrace things with innocence, veils began to be dissolved from my mind. For when I was nine years old, I had already learned to be fearful of thinking, speaking, or acting in a way that was not in conformity with the prevailing wisdom of that time, even within the Essene community, which had become rather rigidified. There was already a lot of dogma, and dogma always leads to bickering. I began to to discover that if I looked with innocence upon all things, that a light would shine through the things I was looking at. And as I rested more and more in this innocence, more and more of that light would shine. As I grew in age, I discovered that the old teachers who spoke of the need to, quote, forgive 70 times 7, close quotes, these old teachers knew something quite profound that had even become lost within the Jewish and Essene traditions of my day. Now here comes the definition of forgiveness. To forgive means to choose to release another from the perceptions you have been projecting upon them. It is an act of forgiving one's self of one's projections. In other words, dismantling your projections, especially when they show you a picture of something that is negative. It's always false. It's always just your best guess approximation, and one of the ways you can know it's way off the mark is if it's negative. The text goes on. As you begin to forgive, in other words, as you begin to dismantle your perceptions, which are false, and do it 70 times, seven times. Each time you forgive or dismantle your false perceptions, you take yourself deeper into the purity of your own consciousness. You get to see that light shimmering. You get to see underneath the veils of perception. And then you begin to see how profoundly and deeply you've been coloring and therefore affecting all of your relationships. You've been doing it through the simple act of not being aware of the power of projection. You've been not aware of the power of distortion that comes from perception. There's an old saying, Oh, the tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. 
or to tell a lie or to confuse or construct ob- obstruct something. A number of years ago, after many repetitions of reading in this book and this particular section about perception as veils that, that blind me to the truth of life that's unfolding in front of me, And it came to me to say, oh, the tangled web we weave when first we practice to perceive. Perception and judgment and distortion are part of what we've been conditioned into. So again, that paragraph, to forgive means to choose to release another person from the perceptions you have been projecting upon them in your own mind. It is therefore an act of dismantling one's false projections. It is about the process of dismantling false perceptions over and over and over again, 70 times 7 times. And as you do that, The more you dismantle your false perceptions, the more you see deeply, clearly into the purity of your own consciousness. And you begin to see how profoundly, deeply you've been coloring and therefore affecting all of your relationships. Because everything you think and feel about another person that's less than the shimmering radiance of the truth of life expressing in form is false. The text goes on in the next paragraph and says, Therefore I learned, and I learned well, that forgiveness is an essential key to healing. Now, the next line is also key. The opposite of forgiveness is judgment. Judgment always creates separation and guilt. Judgment will evoke a sense of guilt in the one that has been judged unless they are perfectly awake. Forgiveness, as the opposite of judgment, is allowance, acceptance, surrender, trust, not creating a perception and then fighting within your own mind or with somebody else to try to prove that your perception is right or true. So the text says, more than this, each time that you judge anything or anyone, you have literally elicited guilt within yourself because there is a place within you, yet still, that knows the perfect purity of your brother and or sister And it sees quite clearly, that place in you that knows their perfect purity, sees quite clearly that all things within the human realm are either the extension of love or a cry for help and healing. There is only love. There is only the creative energy expressing in form. And when we, as human beings, are aware of our true nature and acting from it, People around us feel that and experience it as an extension of love, an extension of the creative energy. If we're not aware of it and we're acting from some 
judgment or contraction or fear, all that is for anybody who's awake, it shows up for them as a cry for help and healing. It doesn't show up as an attack. So, it, again, the, the, the idea that forgiveness is a completely inside job. It's the process of dismantling every false perception. It, aro- it arises from the awareness that there is only the truth of life, that, that this energy that we call love, the energy of creation, the flow of life, is what every one of us is using to create our experience of life and we're using it in the process of creating our perceptions and per- perceptions and perspective judgments anger fear we're using the energy of creation when we create fear, when we create judgment. And we're free to do that. We're free to continue to create the energy of fear. We are free to continue to judge. We can create the energy of contraction and anger and hurt and what we're using to create all of that is the energy of life, is the energy of creation, is the energy of love. And the system is built so that there's an automatic feedback mechanism within us to, to just wake us up, to alert us to the fact that, hey, we've just created this. And if we don't like the experience we created, in the next moment, we're free to take a breath, shift the focus of our conscious awareness, which is that creative energy that Michael calls mind energy, and begin again. Choose again, as Diedrich Wolzak would call us to. Refocus like the archery term sin, right? You're just you're off the mark. Scorekeeper yell sin, readjust, take a better aim, try again. What if everything you experience coming from one of your brothers or sisters is either the extension of their true nature as love or a cry for help and healing? What if your true nature as love can't ever be chipped, dented, rusted, faded, or broken in any way. So you're perfectly safe in each moment to allow whatever happens and breathe and soften and see everything that comes out of one of your brothers and sisters, any other human being, to see it as either the extension of love in form, clear and pure and strong, or a cry for help and healing. What if you have been given all that's needed to resonate healing, to start with you, that alchemical process of transformation, of transmutation of energies, 
by simply shifting the focus of your conscious awareness away from thoughts of attack or fear or defensiveness toward thoughts of extending your true nature as love. In the worksheet process, Michael spells it out as, when you choose love, it stirs the love in everyone involved. When you resonate that energy, it makes it far easier for the people around you to see, to feel, to express, to resonate with their own loving energy. You don't make them be more loving because they have a choice to make too. Every one of us gets to choose in each new present moment. Do we continue to create the dream of separation? Do we choose to interpret the life events unfolding around us as though they're dangerous and we need to protect ourselves and either defend or attack? Or do we choose to extend the true nature of creation and love consciously, directly of our own experience of it in each new present moment? with whoever and whatever we're interacting in the moment. That's the invitation of this work. In the first two lessons, we get introduced to the concept that we are actively creating our experience of life. And in the third lesson, we get awakened to the fact that every time we create something that's less than a direct conscious experience of that loving energy, we can undo it. And that's the process of forgiveness. It has nothing to do with anyone or anything outside of us. It has to do with us creating a perception of something that's less than love. And once we create a perception of something that's less than love, it's within our prerogative, it's within our domain of experience our dominion to change that and so once again another source the Kaboris manuscript the Course in Miracles and the Way of Mastery all say that forgiveness is about an inside job of removing conclusions and perceptions that are off the mark from my own energy system it has nothing to do with pardoning somebody else or trying to get anybody else to change or trying to get anything in the world to change it has to do with the understanding that we are creators and we are creating our own perception of life each moment and once we create any kind of a perception of life that is unpleasant or unsavory, we have the option in that next moment to choose again and create differently. And that is the forgiveness process, the removal of everything that doesn't belong from our energy system, the removal of false perceptions, the awareness of the power of creation that we strengthen our awareness of that by engaging in these exercises that we take five minutes every hour and just wake up to the fact that wherever we are whatever we're doing is the result of what we've chosen to do to bring us to that point 
And however we are experiencing it is a result of the interpretations that we're choosing and placing upon that event or series of events or the person in front of us in that moment. As a creator, I'm creating my experience of life. I'm choosing how to interpret and respond to the flow of life around me. I'm choosing through my history and through my biases and through my trauma energies and filters, I'm choosing the perception that I create in each moment. And if I wake up to that role of creator, I wake up to the distortion in perceptions that keeps me from seeing the truth of life unfolding as the beauty of creation itself unfolding, then I can take a breath and change it. That's this work. That's the core of this work. And we've just nudged into the third lesson and just begun to introduce the concept that here's another source that says forgiveness is about dismantling false perceptions and their negative energies within the human mind. And you're the only one that can do that for you, and I'm the only one that can do that for me. And that it is completely safe to do that because your true nature can't be chipped, dented, rusted, faded, or broken in any way. You are whole and complete just as you are. Nothing of value can be taken from you, and nothing of value can be added unto you. And therein lies your true nature and in your true nature, your perfect safety, and the safety for you to live your life wide open. That's the phrase I use instead of saying being vulnerable, since there is no potential to be hurt. Vulnerability doesn't accurately enter the picture in my mind. What does enter the picture is my ability to be wide open to whatever life brings whatever experiences perfectly safe for me to keep my breath wide open and to keep my heart wide open and let these life experiences wash over me and through me so this is thursday we have a support group tonight and uh, all that information is available on mindshiftersacademy.org it's absolutely free if you choose to to join us i'll remind us all that we come from love we're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. I will turn on the microphone for and welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. Appreciate you. You're very welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thanks. Uh, welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Mindshifters Radio. Today is Thursday, November the 16th, 2023. Our call-in number is 563-999-3581, and press 1, and that puts you in the queue to talk to us, and we'd love to hear your comments and questions, because that makes this your show. Give Michael just a moment to dial in, and I'll just um, let everybody know that this coming Saturday, day after tomorrow, is our monthly Mind Shifters and Still Point Breathing, so if you're... We've got some new people that have signed up to be with us, and if you would like to participate in that, then please contact Michael or myself to get registered for it. And uh, 
we meet at by Zoom at 11 o'clock on Saturday morning, and we have already been given mind shifters the night before. And then we do some processing, and then we breathe. And then on Sunday, we meet again at 11 o'clock by Zoom and process anything that came up after we finished breathing. So for two days, on the third Saturday and Sunday of each month, and so we would just invite you to join us. It is a powerful process. And we will not be having book club next week because it is Thanksgiving Day. So I think that that's all of the announcements. Michael's joined us, so I'm going to say welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. Delighted that you're here. And not only is the Mind Shifters and Still Point Breathing Club a powerful process, it's a developing into a really sweet and powerful community of support where most of the people in it have done significant amounts of work and so they're really powerful at holding the space and the input that comes, the support that comes, the connections, the friendships. It's all a, a part of the uh, of the process of belonging to that club. So if you want to join us, you know, you can try it out for one month. You can register for three months or you can register for a year. And uh, the tuitions vary. Of course, the year is the, the most highly discounted rate. But if you want to join us and just see what it feels like, you can do a one-month membership. And then if you decide to extend that out, then the Pricing is prorated so that that one month is also at the discounted rate for your longer membership. So come and join us. Powerful, sweet uh, things happening there. And beyond that, we've got our conversation about um, the first century Aramaic language. And uh, we had some great conversation yesterday. Thank you, Susan, for your thoughts and questions. And if your questions continue, Susan, go for it. Push one. Let's let's keep moving it. Sounded like there was maybe more information to cover, more thoughts. And so if you're out there in listener land, again, our call-in number is 563-999-3581. If you, excuse me, if you dial that number, you'll be listening to the show directly. And then if you push one, that will raise a hand in the control panel, and you'll be able to ask your question because Gene will introduce you and have a conversation. So how can we support you? What's on your mind? 563-999-3581 if you're on one of those stations where we're syndicated and we can't see you. Beyond that, Ms. Gene, do we have anything happening in the chat room or anybody in the phone queue with a hand up? There are no hands up, and the chat room's all quiet. Somebody press Well, then we need somebody to put a hand up. And Susan's not with us yet, so I know you invited her to come back on and continue the conversation, but she's not on there right now. Okay, well, we'll hold the space that all is well in her world. And that all is well in the world of everyone who's here participating, getting ready for holy days. It's interesting how we live in a culture that has changed the um, 
making of a, a particular day sacred into making of a particular day uh, time to drink and party. That's kind of an interesting degradation of the whole idea of a holy day. And holy having nothing whatsoever to do with religion, but rather having to do with functioning as a human being, functioning as love, and supporting yourself in doing that on all levels. came across a quote from Carl Jung recently that I hadn't looked at in some time. And we talked a little bit yesterday about perception and how the mind is governed by content from the past, which leaves very little room for anything of the actuality of experiences to come into awareness through the mind. And the, uh, there's an old slaver song that has in it the line, or was written by a slaver, wherefore, once I was blind, now I see. I like the melody line of that song, but whenever I sing it, I always change the words just a little bit. Because the truth is, for... Whereas once I was sighted, now I see. Once I was blocked by perceptions, by constructs of my mind from the past, and I substituted those constructs of my mind from the past for the actuality of the moment. And by doing so, I blocked the ability to truly have vision. You know, there's an ancient statement in the scriptures that talks about, for a lack of vision, my people perish. In other words, if you're stuck in perception, all the perception can do, and, and you know, it's a great signpost, is give you guidance that it learned in the past works. But each new situation may, in fact, require a totally and completely different solution. So the guidance from the past, while it can be a good advisor, if it is the end-all and the be-all, and what you think you see outside of you is limited to perception, limited to constructs of the mind, then the ability to go to a higher space is blocked. And the replacement for sight, whereas once I was sighted, now I see, is really vision. For a lack of vision, people perish. Because there's no ability in the mind that does not have room for vision, for input from the higher faculties of the, the human being that we are, for someone who's stuck in sight, well, we think we're looking at something outside of us, but what we're really looking at is the past. So Carl Jung addresses this issue and he says, your vision will become clear only when you can look into your own heart. And your own heart being, again, tying in with the idea of the unconscious. Who looks outside dreams. So here's probably the greatest psychiatrist of all time, the greatest analyst of all time, and he's saying, 
who looks outside dreams. Now we know that through the eyes there's no looking outside. We know that what we call sight is actually a picture kind of painted on the inside of our eyeballs by perception, by the mind. You know, there, there is no way on God's green earth that you can see out through your eyes. It's just not possible. It's actually, a, when you understand uh, energy and light and what antennas do, it's a silly proposition to think that the antenna that brings light into your body, into your energy system, which means the antenna for light energy, to think you can see out of it is just ridiculous. You know, it's about as ridiculous as saying, I'm going over to my TV and I'm going to pull the, the, uh, the cable off the back of my TV and I'm going to look in it and I'm going to look back through the cable into the TV uh, or the, uh, the system that's sending me the signal. I'm going to look in their building. Come on, that's silly. The eye is a one-way valve. It brings information in, but you can't see out of it. We've been tricked by the fact that the information that comes in resonates information in our minds, and our minds construct literally the world we see. If you doubt that from a science perspective, if you think you know better than that, then I'm going to invite you to look at a TED Talk by a gentleman named Anil, A-N-I-L, Seth, S-E-T-H. It's a TED Talk on perception. And he points out how in the laboratory they've established that the world we think we're looking at is a product of what's firing in brain cells. It's the mind's best guess based on what's resonated inside of us trying to inform us about what's going on outside of us. So sight, what the eye presents to us, or the brain presents to us, based on the information coming into the eye, we think we're looking out there. So Carl Jung, he maybe doesn't quite have this subtlety to it, but he says, who looks outside? So if you're always looking at what's painted on the inside of your eyeballs and thinking you're looking outside, he says you're living in a dream. He says, who, lives out, who looks outside dreams? You know, we could call the firing of information in brain cells and the formulating of world of bodies and things and cars and, you know, whatever. We could call that a dream very, very properly. That's all it is, is a mind presenting its best guess about what's going on out there. One other scientist classifies it as an icon, you know, you have a phone, and on your phone there are icons. The icon is not the thing that's in your phone. You know, you've got your email, and there's a symbol there for email. Is that your email? No, it's just an icon. It's just a symbol. Listen to Course Miracle. It says, you live by symbols. Give a symbol for everything you see. That is, your mind creates a picture for every bit of information that comes in via its senses. And in particular, in this case, we're talking about the eye. And so everything that the mind spews up is a dream. Some of the dreams are useful, some of them are not so useful. The way you tell if your dream world is based in corrupt data, is there some form of hostility or fear? So that's the first half of the statement, who looks outside dreams, who looks within awakens.
you get to awaken to the fact that there is content in your mind that's producing literally the whole world you see. It's not outside of you. And when you awaken to that fact, everything changes. And everything changes because then the pursuit of your life will become the acquiring of tools with which to clean up the world you see. And if the world you see holds in your physiology or resonates in your physiology some form of hostility or fear, then what your physiology is telling you, what your multi-generational database called a body-mind unit is telling you, is that there is corrupt data in the device that's generating the world you think you see outside of you. So what Carl Jung is very astutely saying is if you go in and start to clean that database up, you're going to wake up from the past. You're going to enter into a whole new world. And one of the number one features of that world when you're living there is that the presence of love is there. And that presence of love is what is designed to fuel your perception. That presence of love is designed to be that which fuels your cells, your body, your so-called body, your energy system. It, it operates. Its power supply is that of active love. And if active love isn't flowing isn't available, isn't what's powering your structure and your system, then one, there is what we call on the physical level, there is what we call physical disease. And two, there is always a corresponding mental disease. And our emotions inform us what the quality of energy that we're dealing with is. Now, probably the greatest atrocity done to us as human beings down through the ages and that we've bought into is that we've had hidden from us the fact that we are by nature creators. You and I are creative beings. We literally create. And as such, the act of creation is the act of focusing. And you watch how people focus on the hate and the rage and the fear and the pain and the drama and the trauma when it's not in their job description to do so. If there's hate, if there's rage, if there's pain, if there's trauma being felt, the objective from the basis of one who's awake is going to be to apply the tool of forgiveness to remove the underlying distorted energies, the underlying corrupt data. So that there's nothing corrupt left in the database. And all that perception can give you is at least accurate information. Most people, when there's hostility or fear, are having their emotions, their physiology, and their lives run by a power person dynamic. 99.999% of the time, if you listen to someone who's having a conversation about their pain or their trauma, if you listen carefully enough, you'll be able to pinpoint exactly what their power person dynamic was. 
Now remember, a power person is a person who, one, had more power over your life than you did, two, was not functioning as love, and three, you perceived it as survival. This is usually a situation between a parent and a child. When that occurs, when those three conditions are met, the child, when you think of that child, and it's usually something between a parent and a child, the energy system of the child opens wide. Once that survival decision is made, then the field opens wide, and it becomes much like a sponge and just absorbs every energy that comes to it. Literally, if the power person is dad or mom or dad or mom is raging, condemning, you know, shattering the child, energetically, that child's whole energy system becomes just like a sponge and just sucks in every energy in the environment. That's why... 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 60, 80, 90 years later, somebody's speaking out of a, a, a language of trauma, a perceptual construct of trauma, he can pinpoint what the power person message was that's running their mind, that's running their perception, that's running their physiology, that's running their behavior and their emotions. And the first message that usually comes from a power person to the child is something along the lines of, you're broken. There's something wrong with you. You'll never make it. You'll never be successful. You'll never be good enough. And you watch how many times people revisit that and revisit that and revisit that, and they live in such fear and trepidation that that's going to be known about them. When what really needs to be happening is that person needs to be becoming conscious of their power person dynamic and removing it from their structures. And those power person dynamics are so deeply embedded because, generally speaking, they're based on thought disorders from a thousand generations of patterned power person messages. They're so deeply embedded, it literally is right down to and including in the genes. And it takes committed work to route those things out and be finished with them. One of the places where those things tend to get played out, those messages tend to surface and get played out, is in the context of relationship. You will notice that if you think back about the times when your power person gave you derogatory messages, it was always 100% of the time when you weren't doing something that the power person wanted you to do, when you weren't fulfilling a goal that they had for you. And you'll notice if you're passing on those power person messages to the people around you, it'll be when you're not, they're not fulfilling a goal that you hold for them. Now, here's one of the big challenges in relationship is that, and, and, and we have a saying for it in the culture. I mean, it's just all across the culture. You know, we have two people who are, quote, unquote, in love. My offering is, and if you listen to our Healing Through Relationships workshop, 
most of those relationships are relationships based in matching bags of garbage. You say, oh, no, Michael, what do you mean? Well, take a look. 50 to 60% of them are going to end up in divorce. What do you think that means? They're love relationships? Really? Why? How could a love relationship, how could somebody who falls in love with another person ever say, the honeymoon is over? How could that happen? That's ridiculous. But when people come together because they each have matching bags of garbage with which they can resonate and bring up what the other needs to heal, then those matching bags of garbage will surface. And if one has the tools and the intent and the goal to heal through their relationships, if you check out that workshop, you'll notice it isn't called Healing Your Relationships, which when I first started to teach it at my level of understanding 40-some years ago, forty probably 48 years ago, I didn't know. I thought it was healing your relationships. That's what you had to do. And then after working in the field for some years, realized there's no such thing as a diseased relationship. If there's a, a possibility in you that you could move into some form of hostility or fear, then you need to move into that state consciously, and instead of looking without, you need to look within and wake up from that and recognize that what's going on that you're feeling the effects of is inside of you, and it is not caused by anything other than the fact that it's inside of you. Now, in a similar way to the way that your power person delivered those messages to you, it was always... 100% of the time, when you weren't fulfilling a goal that they had for you, notice when there's conflict in a relationship, it's 100% of the time because that person isn't fulfilling a goal that you have for them. And there's a real danger point in relationship. This is where the door starts. The real danger point is the point where each person is looking without. The matching bags of garbage are moving. And one person in the relationship violates an important goal that that person has for them. And the goal is one that their power person violated with them as well. Here's where the honeymoon is over. Here's what happens. When there was a goal that you held for your power person that they did not or would not or could not fulfill for you, and that goal was based in some form of disappointment, hostility, fear, rage, guilt, grief, drama, trauma, whatever it happened to be, if your partner violates an important goal that you had for your power person that you've now turned and wanted your partner to fulfill for you, and they don't, or they can't, or they don't even know that you've got that goal because you've never spoken it, you've never looked inside to review it. But if your partner violates that goal, that's where the whole culture, we've got a saying for it, the honeymoon is over. It's over. 
And what happens at that moment is that the person who's violating, the partner who's violating the goal now gets locked into the power person, the unresolved dynamic of the power person inside of the person who's holding the goal. So if I hold a goal for my partner and she refuses to fulfill it, and it's an important goal that I had with my power person, then what the world would say there is the honeymoon is over. Now there's a lock-in into a hostility and fear-based world and will tend to be in a hostility and fear-based relationship. And if that occurs, at least the way I've observed it over the years in working with people, once one partner violates a goal and is locked into the power person file in their partner's mind, it won't be long before the other person does the same thing, violates a goal that was important relating to the power person. And when you have two people who have their partners locked into their power person files, that's when relationships get crazy time. That's when the abuse starts. That's when the hatred, the fear, the rage, the guilt, that's where divorce comes from. If one is aware of that, then one, instead of looking outside, oh, you didn't violate a goal and I'm enraged because you enraged me because you didn't fulfill my goal? If I'm looking outside for the cause of that, then I'm going to fall into the dream of rage and it's being caused by this other person. If I look within, if I wake up, I can put an end to the dream. I can, with the conscious use of forgiveness, disconnect my partner from my power person file, free them from it, and the repeated pattern of the unresolved dynamic with my power person. When that power person dynamic is active, a person can only do a sum total of three different behaviors. No other behavior is possible. And the behaviors that they'll do, and I'll just invite everybody, if, if you haven't heard this information before or if you're hearing it in a new way today, I'll just invite you to take a look at your life and see if this fits for you. Here are the three behaviors, the only three behaviors possible for someone who has not gone inside themselves, understood and resolved the power person dynamic. And they all relate to behaviors that were done in reaction to, in relationship to, the power person. The thing that determines which level of behavior or which set of behaviors is active, the thing that determines that is the level of stress that one is under. There's a thing in the mind we call in our Laws of Living course the automatic decision system. Decisions are a process of resonance. If I say don't think about the color of your car, your car doesn't think, oh, I think I'll answer red or blue or green or whatever. The mind just resonates whatever content's there, and if red is the answer, then the mind spews up red. That's a decision. It's not a choice. A person under the spell of the unresolved power person dynamic is run by decisions based on that power person dynamic. 
three levels of stress. When there's little or no stress going on, notice what you do, what your automatic decision system prompts you to do in the way of behavior and language and actions, is you do whatever it is that you did to get along with your power person. When stress builds, there will come a point, you know, the disturbance starts to move and say, so oh, I, want, I still want to stay loving, I still want to, I don't want to, I don't want to react on that, I don't want to talk like that, I don't want to think like that. But as the stress builds, a shift takes place, and now the automatic decision kicks into where it forces a person to behave in the same way they behaved when they were in resistance and survival to their power person. So elevated stress go from what they did to get along to what they did to resist and survive. And then the third level, this is where the honeymoon is over, is when someone gets ultra-stressed, they will do. They'll curse themselves for doing it afterwards and say, oh, I never want to do that again. And they won't do it again until the next time they're ultra-stressed. And then when they're ultra-stressed, they'll do whatever it was their power person did to them that they hated the most. They'll even do it against their own will and choice. Kick themselves all the way you know, down the lane and back because they did it. But because they are thinking that the problem is without their, quote-unquote, as Jung said, they're looking without. If they look within, then they can awaken from that dynamic. Those who look within, Jung says, awaken. They start to see that the prompts for the pain and the trauma are simply following the generational patterns of the good old family feeling. The, one of the biggest challenges is once somebody's locked a person into their power person file, is letting them out. It takes a significant amount of Internal work takes a significant amount of looking within. Now, you watch the average person when they're under stress, and what are they doing? They're shouting and screaming and out there about what the problem is and how somebody else is doing it to them. My offering is that short of somebody canceled the thought, punching you in the nose or something like that, nobody can hurt you. If you're in hurt, trauma, upset, and pain, and you want to run away, could what someone else says hurt you? Is that even possible? No, that's ridiculous. That's a dream. Could someone else speak the right words or point out the unresolved power person dynamic inside of yourself? around which you carry all of that unresolved hurt and never want to face and never want to deal with, and that's why you disappear or you drug or you alcohol or you overeat or whatever it is that's, that's your drug.
if you look within, if you stop delivering the, the violent message to the external world, look what you're doing to me, and you look within, you get to face and you get to process through and alleviate yourself of your disease. Now, if you're big and strong enough and able to control the whole world and keep them away from your disease, then your disease kills you. Sooner or later, it's what literally creates aging and death. But if in those moments where the stress is up and the chips are down and you're ultra-stressed, you can look within rather than thinking that the problem is without. You know, by, by the age of four, virtually everybody in this culture, it's so prevalent, virtually everyone is a card-carrying member of the one world religion of blame. What I'm experiencing is all everybody else's fault. You've got to quit that church because that church, one of the criteria of membership in the church of the one world universal religion of blame is that your focus outside, that the problem's out there. And whenever you're looking out there, you are in a dream. In fact, you're not even looking out there, but you're pretending that what's firing in your mind and the picture world that's being developed there and the emotional world, you're pretending that it's outside of you. And that's a total, complete dream state. If in those moments you can breathe, shift out of the one world universal religion of blame and start to speak responsibly about what's going on inside yourself. Now, there's an easy way to measure it. There's a conflict and you walk away. And when you walk away from the conflict, you've got this conversation in your head going on about them and what they did to you and how the problem is all theirs. The whole conversation is about somebody else. That's a codependent relationship. That's a power person dynamic. The retraining is, the replacement for that is, if I have a conflict, I want to train my mind to walk away, if I'm going to walk away, having a conversation about myself and what's going on inside of me, about looking within. Now I get to wake up from the projection that all the problems are outside of me, and if I could just control and change everything and everybody else, then I'd never have to feel this again. Well, the bad news is if you get to control it and you can take, keep everybody from ever touching again, then literally that will be the energy that will physiologically cause you to age, suffer, and die. And you're not designed to age, suffer, or die. None of us are. So walking away, you know, if it's time to step back, you know, okay, let's take an intermission from this conflict. You want, to, you want to take that intermission and make sure your whole conversation is about what's going on inside of you. Make sure the conversation is taking you deeper and deeper within yourself, looking within, so you can awaken from the projection that the unresolved power person dynamic that you just put into your brain's image of your partner can be collapsed. And it can be collapsed. You get to drop into the original Assault energy, and the key way of dropping it, of, of collapsing it, is forgiveness. And when you engage in that process of forgiveness, remember that the word forgive in Aramaic is shebag, it means to cancel. And you look at 
the goal that you hold, remember, your power person was never upset with you unless you were violating a goal you held for them. Notice you're never upset with anybody unless you're, they're violating a goal you hold for them. Now, truth is, you've never been upset with anybody. If there's upset in you, you've just been upset, and it's in there. You can put it into your brain's image of anybody or anything, but 100 You know, people say, oh, you know, when that happens in the world, that makes me so mad. No, nothing that has ever happened in the world has made you mad. Oh, I look at those terrible things in the world, and I'm so sad. It saddens me so much that those things are... No, you're lying to yourself. You're in a dream. If your mind tells you that you're saddened by what's happening in the world, stop talking about the world. Go inside and talk about yourself. Allow yourself to drill down into yourself, and what you'll find is you're sad because there's a reality in your mind called sadness. You're afraid because there's a reality inside of you called fear. You're enraged because there's a reality inside of you called rage. You've never been enraged by anything in your life. But if there's rage in there, a whole procession of people are going to walk up and trigger it into activity. And then if you live in the dream, if you think that the person out there is the reason you're in that upset, then your dream will verify for you. If you stop and start to have a conversation about yourself, then you get to go inside. And when you're inside, you get to clean it up. When you do that, the vision becomes clear. Another level of functioning of the human possibility becomes available to you when you stop looking outside and you step in and awaken. A whole different dynamic begins to happen. And the reason we're here having this conversation is to support the understanding of that principle and then to to offer the tools that empower people to move to the next level. To move into that space of the truth of who we are as human beings. And you have a hand up. Awesome. Let's say hello. All right. I believe it's Peter. Area code 619. You're on the air. Hello, doctor. Hey there, young man. How are you? It's oh, Michael, good. by the way. Uh, all right, Michael. Uh, <laughs> Please. Uh, so, you know, I did this work 30 years ago, and then I restarted it this summer. Um, right. And I never <clears throat> thought about the power person before. Maybe I forgot it. I don't know. But I've been thinking about it a lot lately. And the power person in my life, um, for whatever reason, couldn't always keep their word. They couldn't deliver on what they promised for some reason. Uh, not habitually, just enough that that became my pet peeve for the rest of my life. Of people, I got it. I work. hear you. So when isn't it interesting? Yeah, isn't it interesting, interesting that recently you shared with me what you know the current events are and the issue going on? And isn't it interesting that the person involved couldn't deliver on their word? Yep. And there's multiple people involved that aren't delivering yep. on their word. 
multiple reasons for each person. Um, some, I believe, well, I know are malicious. Some are, it's just whatever happened. Um, they didn't know. So, I, so remember the, the piece of the puzzle. Remember the piece of the puzzle where we talk about Marcel Vogel's Delaware camera with which he could take a picture of the high-energy waves that leave the mind when we think a thought. So literally, when mm-hmm. brain cells fire, it sets up a literal, measurable energy wave, and that energy wave communicates about what it is we want to create in our lives. So just based on what you shared with me, just to be aware of, until you go within and clean that up, here's what the energy wave says. Here's what goes out over what we could call the psychic megaphone or the creative wave. Hey, world, I learned very early in my life that people, especially the important ones in my life, the ones that I trust, never deliver on their promises. And so, if you're one of those people who always delivers on your promises, stay away from me because I need to heal this dynamic in me so the only people I really want to connect with and get into deep relationship with, meaningful relationship, are the people who can show me and do it to me again. Because when you do it to me again, if I get out of the dream of blaming you and I drop into myself, I'll awaken inside and I'll clean that up, I'll heal that. As as painful as it is, I'm going to be able to access every energetic dynamic of that original disappointment, that original power person dynamic. I'm going to get to breathe, soften, process through it, and dump it. And I'll say thank you for bringing me another person who could disappoint me and prove that people don't keep their word. So that would be, you know, the long form of the psychic megaphone message that would go out over and over and over. And, you know, if you look over your life, you'll probably see where that one has played out more often than you'd like. Yes. Uh, Continuously, actually. However, just Just notice how powerful you are. I mean, notice how many people you've been able to get to play that way with you. I mean, that's real power, you know. (laughs) I guess so. Uh, But recently I did go inside and I started looking at all of it, and then I made the connection only several weeks ago um, with your language on the power person. Um, I guess I didn't really know that before. But uh, it definitely played out, and I looked inside, and then I looked, at a very important person in my life, <clears throat> not the power person, but the one I tried to turn into the power person. Uh, right. I looked at her, and I realized, wow, what a great person. And it just, my entire picture of her changed. And uh, we're getting along great. Now, it's called waking up. Still, yes, starting to wake up and... Um, other things are happening, like job offers or whatever. So um, just all the dynamics are changing. That's the whole idea of the tools. Yep. 
And it's amazing how literally, you know, when you think of it as an energetic dynamic, and, and as long as somebody holds the power person dynamic unresolved within them, the whole world comes in at them, literally, without a word being said, comes in at them on a particular angle. And you can almost visualize that when one resolves that power person dynamic, literally everything in the world rotates and starts to come in on a different angle. Starts to come in on a different trajectory. Right, because you don't have to get has been addressed. You don't have to Okay. So the people that are currently in your life literally will appear differently. Exactly. Your your perceptual construct of them will no longer come out of your power person file and the unresolved energetic dynamics, which are you know, there's there's a whole series of messages that tend to come from the power person, uh, and literally, my take is they are ultimately the, the literal cause of death. And until those dynamics are corrected within, until they're forgiven, the constructs of our mind follow the rules of that power person dynamic. And as I begin to remove, address the different levels of messages, um, I'm not sure. Have I, have I sent you the uh, the chart on the physiological effects of emotional suppression? I don't think so. I remember Louise okay. Hayes' work, but uh, yeah, I would love to get that. I will make sure that I get it to you. Thank you. And 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 uh, the chart we look at uh, aging and youthing. And how when we simply buy the unconscious power person dynamics, those energetic patterns being of a disintegrative nature are literally what creates aging, suffering, and death. The dysfunction of different organs in the structure and such. And when you start to address those thoughts, and basically the chart is just a a pattern of what tends to happen and and which organs are involved in the process, as you begin to uh, step through those, then physiology changes, the whole creative process changes, and people, one, our perceptions of people change, so we live in a different reality structure because of what's at the root of our perception, and two, the actual behaviors that people do change because we're sending them different instructions. Yes, that's happening right now. Sweet. Well, that's the idea of that intensive on codependence to interdependence is to step through that and change the whole game. Yep. A quick question. Before I met you, whatever, 30 years ago, I was in a short marriage with someone who now I would look at. Um, she was extremely narcissistic. Where does narcissism play into any of this? 
Well, it's um, it's pretty much all done with smoke and mirrors. You know, what shows up in my mind as disturbing is a reflection of what I haven't resolved in me. What shows up in my mind that is aberrant behavior, but my physiology is at peace and I'm connected to love, I can then start to speak to the outside world and offer, gee, you know, maybe there's something to uh, to look at here. So the but same rules when perception comes up and gives me a certain message, that perception first tells me about the content of my mind and then may or may not be accurate about the outer world. Mm-hmm. Okay. Kind of like the good news and the bad news. All right. So the first order of business, if I'm if I'm in a state of disturbance, that means the root of my perception, there's an issue that I haven't dealt with yet. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a little poster that I do that's called A Gift for Giving. When forgiving, you never cancel truth, only the shadow laid over truth. Our present reality, the output of our mind, will forever influence our future actuality until we learn to forgive. We can only change our future to the extent that we exercise choice over and receive our present. That is, that we receive the gift of the present moment. Therefore, our present is a gift to our future. As long as the ego rules our perception, we will never experience the true present, as the present will always be an effect of our past. We must reach the point where we can change our present in order to affect change in our future. The power to this is called choice. The tool is forgiveness. You cannot change your future if your present is negative and you will not forgive the vibration from your past that has created the present, which prevents you from receiving the present. Did that all make sense? Yeah, it did. It sounds great. I'm just viewing that entire period differently right now because that was before I met you. And then I never had a problem with it again, but I look back and I just think how terrible it was. But I mean, it's not like that now. It never has been like that since I went to your uh, heartland. But I was always curious about it. How did I end up that way in the beginning? Now I know. Awesome work breathing with you. It's definitely uh, yeah. uh, an idea whose time has come for for all of us as human beings. And to look at those 
power person messages is such a big key in cleaning up those past dynamics. Ah, yep. And I just finished so, my advertisement. <laughs> oh, cool. Nice. Well, I've still got my hand in mine. <laughs> so the kind of, uh, you know, I'm just, I just opened that chart. And the kind of messages that come, the first one is usually something like you're broken. So one buys into this, you know, the, the first shutdown, and this tends to shut down the pineal gland, which is the only organ in the structure that's sensitive to light and receives, actually receives light. And the thinking, the thought disorder becomes something like, what's wrong with me? It's self-blame, and that's usually accompanied by guilt and shame and degrading thoughts of self. That's the first step down into the destruction of physiology. And then, of course, when, when one recognizes that, you know, if you look at a, a small child and the enthusiasm, the life that they live, they're connected to love, and that's just, that's it. That's where we're designed to live. You know, so we're designed to live in enthusiasm, and if you break that word down, theos is God. In God, we're designed to live in the presence as the presence of love. But when we're handed that message by this God, you know, the power person, that there's something wrong with me, and one buys that, it hurts. And when one goes into that hurt, the tendency, the reason is to express the hurt. And of course, the average adult not having dealt with their own power person dynamics, if their child is hurting and expressing that hurt, they'll want it to stop because they've never worked out the hurt within themselves. So the next thought disorder goes something like, you know, I'm being punished for just, you know, uh, I can remember hearing this as a kid all too often. If you don't stop crying, I'll give you something to cry for. It's like, wait a minute, I'm crying. I have something to cry for. So now the child isn't even allowed to express their hurt, and so the next thought disorder that comes in is, this hurts, I'm not allowed to feel. To feel. And humiliation is part of that that ultimately needs to be forgiven. These are kind of the dynamics that need to be let go. This is what the, the chart explains. And then the child who's not allowed to experience their hurt goes into antagonism, vengeance, you know, and and their thinking is, I, I'm going to get you, and that's accompanied by threat. You think about what they call the terrible twos. That's a child who hasn't been allowed to feel or deal with their pain and has lost the ability to live his love. And then that moves the next step down. The, the ladder is overt hostility. I'm going to hurt you, you know, to lash out. And, of course, if one lashes out and they're only, you know, uh, 22 pounds, uh, somebody who weighs 280 pounds is going to come down on them and, you know, basically take them apart. So the next step is I've got to hide my rage or they're going to kill me. At that point, one tends to self-medicate with anger. That then moves to covert hostility. And covert hostility looks like, you know, oh, Mom, I didn't mean to break your favorite lamp. That was an accident. Right. You know, 
a way of expressing the hurt and the hostility uh, that keeps it hidden. And then the next step down is I'm terrified that I'm going to be hurt again. This is something that comes about in a lot of the religions because the next step from that is in order not to be beaten, abused, degraded, threatened, whatever it is, I have to do what I'm being told to do. And I'm not doing what I'm being told to do because I, I know why and that I want, I want to do it because it's what I want to do. It's done for propitiation's sake. Propitiation is a word that's not used very much in our culture. But T.S. Eliot, the poet, uh, defined it in a very simple little line. It is the highest treason to do the right thing for the wrong reason. You look at most people, and they do the right thing because God's going to get them if they don't, or mom or dad's going to get them. And, and people, you know, there's a, there's a cheap copy that comes into family systems, sadly, at this point, and it's usually discipline. And the word discipline is interpreted as, I have to beat you up properly in order for you to grow up and be a proper human being. So now, a total misinterpretation of the word discipline. The word actually comes from the word disciple, which means properly taught. But the adult who was never disciplined, was never properly taught, and has never looked inside, has no idea how to properly teach the child, so they beat the hell out of them to force them into the behavior that's desired. And yeah, people do the right thing, but not for the right reasons. And every person who does the right thing for something other than the right reason, by doing the right thing is reinforcing a disease state. By doing the right thing, it reinforces the disease state. Once that one's shut down and nobody knows how to resolve that and how to discipline, how to properly teach the what and why of the energy system and why we'd want to do certain things, like, you know, it's, it's not about loving your neighbor, it's about maintaining your human life. That's what that command was about. And the, the reason for that is because if you don't have that, you're dead. I mean, literally, your physiology may carry on, but death has taken over. At that point, there's so much of a load and so much pain that people tend to go into sympathy. You know, it's a billion-dollar industry, sympathy cards, which basically says, I have pain just like yours. Let's intensify our pain by suffering together. And so it's negative identification with other states. Next step, you know, now we've gone from uh, enthusiasm to pain to anger to fear to grief. I'm sad, I'm overburdened, and I'm hurt. Of course, I have no idea since I've never looked within that I'm sad and overburdened and hurt because of my unconscious self-imposition of all of this pain. And then one steps down to apathy. And in apathy, people are like, well, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing meaningful here. Why are they doing this to me again? Hopeless, helpless victim. And then one moves just to mass unconsciousness. I don't know. I have no idea. I'm in a fog. I don't understand. And sadly, that's where most people end up living. And if you, I'll, I'll get this chart to you. When you look at it, you'll see what organs are affected by those thought disorders and how going downhill with that literally is 
the way that energetically our physiology is destroyed. When you look at it and you start resolving those things, forgiving us for those things, you start to move up the ladder on the other side of the chart, and it becomes a key to healing and wholeness and functioning as a true human being. So I'll get that chart off to you, and I'm sure that Jeannie has already put it in the notes for anybody else that wants to pick it up. Or if you want to drop me a text, if you've got my number, I'll send a link to it. And uh, thanks for your input. Much appreciation. Good questions. Good good uh, commentary. So thank you. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Blessings. Everybody, have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks.